Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody to Nightlight. Thanks for joining us tonight, sharing your evening with us. It's so good to have uh, friends around all the time, and this is a very special night for me because we're starting a new aspect of Nightlight. But before we even go into that, I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing, amazing intro as always. You can find him at nativestorytellers.com. And he and his wife have a fantastic website there. I highly encourage you to check it out because it has material there that isn't taught in schools and yet can enrich you on a spiritual and cultural level beyond your imagination. So please do check it out. Tonight we have Mary Joyce with us, and she is the editor of the amazing website, Skyships Over Cashiers. She's worked for the Orlando Sentinel in Florida as an artist and columnist and for the Orlando Press in Michigan as a Sunday Magazine editor and then as a feature editor. She's written several books, all of which I've read, all except the latest one, which I haven't got my hands on yet. And uh, that would be Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. It's just out now. And I encourage you to check her books out. Not only are they beautifully written, but they're beautifully illustrated as well, which makes for a very enjoyable um, experience. She's also been a host, a frequent host on many TV and radio shows. Her website, Skyships Over Cashiers, is a must-see for those interested in all things paranormal. Her subject matter covers a wide spectrum of material, and it's a pleasure to read. And not only is it beautifully put together, beautifully researched, and, and also um, checked and given references where it's appropriate, but she also has been doing this for well over 10 years, and all of her archives are there as well, so that beyond whatever she is putting up um, at the moment, she has 10 years of archives that you can go back and comb through and, and spend many a cold winter evening having a lovely time uh, researching topics that aren't normally out there. So I encourage you to check it out. It's an amazing website. Nightlight welcomes Mary for a once-a-month visit to keep us updated and informed on what's new, interesting, and enlightening in the world. 
So welcome to the show, Mary. I'm so so delighted that we could start this out with a big bang. Well, thank you for that very nice introduction. I appreciate it. Well, I have to apologize to you. The uh, the link I sent to the website had more typos in it than than I have ever seen in any any archive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been sitting here horrified at. I must have been typing real fast when I did this one. I think I caught them all. So I think that on all of the uh, archives that are going to go out, there won't be any typos. But my my person who checks typos has had bronchitis for the last four or five weeks and has not been uh, focusing too well, I'm afraid. <laughs> it, it, things like that happen. Oh, my gosh. Um, so so just out of curiosity, how did you get the idea of putting this website together? Because it is so informative. There's so much different information on so many different topics. It's It's an amazing website. I wish I could say that I was so brilliant that I foresaw what this, was go- what this was going to become, but it actually started out really simply. We were seeing, and many people were seeing, so many UFOs over this mountaintop town called Cashers, and that's the reason for the name. We were uh, initially just focused on that kind of activity over that town. Um, but it kept growing, and uh, I was born with a curiosity and um, the uh, website has taken off in so many different directions. It's like if I get curious about Antarctica, which you and I have briefly touched on, uh, then I delve into it. And um, I, like so many people, I get bored if I keep seeing the same thing over and over again, and that is another reason that we've grown into so many different topics. Well, it, I love the fact that all of your archives are there and so easy to get to so that you know, if if one is curious about what happened in 2008 or 2010, all your archives are there so that they can go back and and read the articles. And it, it's it's what's what interesting you, is even even now, if you go back into the archives, many many people are going to find stuff that will be totally new to them. Uh, it's oh, yeah. not like it's uh, archives that uh, you know. Oh yeah, everybody's familiar with that. Um, it, it's just not the case because there's just so much to know. Well, I think one of the, the cool things about the Internet, among other things, is that when you get an itch to investigate something, you're, you're able to stretch out and really you know, pick up on it. And, and the topic that we kind of picked for tonight, although at, next month um, I have ordered your book and I'm going to be getting it within the next week, so next, next month I want to really go into your book on Bigfoot because I will have read it by then. But the the subject in, in this, this last week's um, wonderful, uh, you know, groupings of different topics was Antarctica and and this, the secrets behind it. And that's been a subject for me that I've been fascinated in for years. And, and you know, with Admiral Berg and, and in the 40s, and, and or 38 or 40, I forget which it was, but... But, you know, his material and then the Nazis, the Antarctic seems to have been an area that has had a tremendous amount of activity in it, and yet it's all been squashed and, and kept undercover, and, and it hasn't been out there in public as much as it should be. And your article on it was just brilliant. It was, it was fascinating to read and keep my interest even more. And actually, there's quite a bit about Antarctica. Um, we really started uh, covering it in 2017, so that would be a good time to go into the archives. 
so uh, 17, 18, and 19, we've had different kinds of articles about Antarctica. And probably a good place to start is with, like, the nuts and bolts of it. And mm-hmm. uh, we've been able to find, using Google Earth, three large entrances that go into Antarctica. And the most, the third one, the most recent one that uh, we discovered, um, to give people an idea of how big the entrances are, you could fly a, a 320 Airbus into the, the most recent one that we found. And one of the things I've done with all three entrances is I provide the coordinates. So you can copy and paste those into Google Earth, and you can find them for yourself. And I think that's important because today we have too many people who get their kicks out of playing with Photoshop and creating things that simply aren't real. So when people can take the coordinates and find these things for themselves and realize they're real, um, I think that you know just is so much more convincing. But this last one that was found, um, imagine the, the side view of a, a, a fat mushroom and the the cap is the biggest, and then the stem is not quite as big. Well, this this particular entranceway looks like that, and the top part is 115 feet across. I mean, is 115 at the uh, bottom part, and the wider part is uh, 149 feet. And that means the Airbus could fly in there because it has a wing uh, a wingspan of 117 feet, which gives you plenty of room on both sides. This particular entrance was doubly interesting because um, it's like there's a runway uh, that approaches it. There's like 20 different what appear to be like lights or runway lights uh, that stretch out over a mile in the direction of this entrance. And not only that, it's like uh, it's over 200 miles from any known research facility. So what's it doing out in the middle of nowhere in Antarctica? Um, so, like I said, we have visuals and photos with everything we have on the website. And if this kind of thing really interests people, um, just go to Global Links, which is on the homepage. And, uh, you know, this is in the, the postings that are up there right now. And then you can go into uh, 2017 and get some more of them. The other two entrances, I think, are back in uh, the 2017 postings. And these are uh, enormous entrances also. Uh, There's one that a a Boeing 747 could fly into and still have 50 feet uh, off either wingtip. That's huge. And, uh, uh, again, the coordinates are there. Uh, There's another one that looks like it has a metal awning over it. So these, these images are fascinating. And I was able to get pictures um, posted, uh, and I think just a couple days after it was posted, uh, some of this, they began to uh, spill their, their India ink all over the the, uh, the images so that, you know, not everybody could find it. And I found a trick with that. I, I was able to get old pictures and find landmarks on the on the land. So if people are really interested in it, in it uh, I give you directions so you can go back and still find where it was, even though great attempts were made to hide it from the public. And I guess somebody must be watching our website because that was a, the attempted blockout was done. I think it was like something like two days after we posted it. 
But anyhow, those are three hardcore entrances into um, uh, Antarctica. Well, I I know that, you know, there were also on your website, I I believe it was on your website, where you found that there were um, impressions of leaves and and stuff in in stones and things like that, so that, you know, Antarctic has not always been covered in miles and miles of ice. It, It, at one time, was a continent that was, that was, free of ice, and it was a temperature. Yeah, there was uh, two doctors from the uh, University of Wisconsin that headed up an international team of researchers, and they went trekking across Antarctica in uh, the end part of uh, 2017. And I posted, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven photos of uh, uh, fossils that they found in that expedition and uh, it, they go back to a forest uh, that existed 280 million years ago. So the landscape of our, our globe has t- changed, you know, just enormously over the uh, millennia. Well, I, I think one, one of my fascinations with Antarctica is that, that it seems to be cold, isolate, and barren. And yet um, Admiral Berg swore that he saw a hole and he flew into it and he found Middle Earth, and his there were diaries that said, you know, he, he spoke of his experience, and then he spoke of how he had been, you know, told to keep quiet and not talk about it, and and then you hop forward, and, and there was um, Operation High Jump, where we sent our, our 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 forces there to to because we thought that the Nazis had um, some sort of base there, and and I believe the Nazis did have a base there. From, from all that I've read, um, so that so that it's been an area where there has been a lot of um, activity and yet a lot of squashed activity, so that it's almost like, you know, don't go there, don't talk about it. Um, there's that one area where, where the, um, the pilots were told not to fly over certain areas because there, there was um, underground stuff going on there. So... It 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 keeps piquing my curiosity. You know what is there, and and they have they, there are photographs, there are uh, videos of people walking in huge caverns below the surface there, and um, it makes one wonder. Just just w- on the surface, there are lots of lots of countries have men there and scientists and stuff like that. But it seems to me that has to be um, almost a a ruse to to make us think that, oh, they're just doing little experiments on the surface when all of the good stuff is below the surface, and why haven't we heard any of this? Well, what's amazing is this uh, really goes back to before World War II, and back in the 30s, maybe even before that, but for the 30s for sure, the um, Nazis or the Germans uh, Uh were teaming up with uh, a reptilian race of, of ETs who I personally do not want to come in contact with, um, and so a lot of the technology that the uh, Germans had, they were getting from the reptilians. And uh, basically there are, as I, from the reports I've gotten, is that there are three huge underground caverns that are occupied by the reptilians. And the Germans were given, um, you know, one or two other ones that are much smaller. And they've been working together, you know, forever. Um, so underneath the ice, there's like a river, 
and they are probably more than one river, but there is a main river that the submarines um, can go into these caverns, and that's how uh, things have been delivered in both directions. Um, but, you know, we think of the 1930s as forever ago, and anything before World War II seems like, you know, that couldn't even be possible. Um, one of the people, probably the number one person who um, convinced me that this has to be real is a man named William Tompkins. And he he died as an old man. He was uh, past, I think he was, ni- he was past 90 for sure. And mm-hmm. he not only was in naval intelligence back in World War II and, you know, was plugged into the, the, the Navy spies uh, of that time, he later worked for NASA at the very highest levels, and he worked with, you know, well-known names like uh, Werner von Braun. Um, he said in his book that... Um, uh, there were uh, aliens that were working with NASA, and it was because of the aliens that uh, a lot of this uh, very fast and rapid um, space travel uh, was developed, and he credits the uh, the aliens for so much of it. He did point out that there were two kinds of aliens. They they were working with some that looked, uh, just, that passed for humans, and mm-hmm. Then he said there were also reptilians, and um, I guess there were times when they would have a meeting, and these reptilians um, can change shape and you know appear human, and then uh, after they're leaving the meeting, when they think they're not being watched, they they some of them have seen them transform back into reptilians. So it's like the world of sci-fi. Um, you know, it, it just sounds so beyond what must be real. But this man, uh, again, his name is William uh, Tompkins, his credentials are just, you know, immaculate. And uh, he said that the Navy spies that he knew uh, from, like, the World War II period said back then that the uh, uh, Germans, along with the reptilians, had the uh, spacecraft that would actually fly to the moon. Now, that's a long time ago. A very long time ago, uh, there were even claims, and I think he he didn't know how to you know confirm it. Uh, but some of the spies were saying they even were able to fly, you know, to the stars or beyond the moon. But uh, this was going on before Roswell. This was going on before you know we had any uh, really sophisticated airplanes flying. Um, like I said, we're way behind the times. Well, yeah, that's for it's true. It's true that the, for for whatever reason, this kind of information hasn't been leaked to the public. Well, it has been. Obviously, we're talking about it, but um, but but it isn't general knowledge, and people kind of you know poo poo you when you start to talk about it. But I mean, when you look at the 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 Reese um, the Reese map, uh, Antarctic is a continent. Is is there's land there? It's not just ice. There is land there, and there had to have been cultures there and civilizations there but before it froze over and is now under a mile or more of ice so that there's a foundation there to build on and they have discovered haven't they um uh remnants of 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 villages and stuff like that in in some areas on the surface haven't they um i've I, there's evidence that there there have been ancient settlements there 
Um, uh-huh. I I posted uh, two of the photos. Um, they're not as convincing as some of the things I've seen, but they're definitely shapes and stuff that just shouldn't be there. Um, so, you know, they might very, very well be the remnants of lost civilizations. Uh, well, they, they have, have um, they, they have something called, too. Uh, yes, yes. Yep, it's it's uh, just a, a hotbed of all all sorts of possibilities. There's one um, I have both uh, praise and criticism for one of the videos that we posted, and the heading for the article um, is just Antarctica video of secrets beneath the ice, and mm-hmm. it's about uh, the video is about 12 minutes long. Um, I criticize it because they have these voices. Uh, that are speaking like they know what they're doing and they they have authority. I was able I to recognize. Uh, I was able to recognize some of the voices. I was able, to, like Linda Moulton Howell, I've heard her enough mm-hmm. that I could recognize her voice. And at the very end, they give names. Um, I think beneath the video where it's posted on YouTube, um, but you really have to do some research to match up the voices mm-hmm. with the um, the commentary, but. Regard, you know, disregarding that, uh, they give you some, you know, good images and a good overview. If you don't have time to do tons of research, at least that gives you kind of a, a brief smorgasbord of, uh, you know, what's going on there. It's a good place to start for people who don't know too much about it. Well, I I found it fascinating because, of course, you do you you did put the Admiral Berg material up there as well. So that, so yeah, that he had can... he actually had two diaries. One, you know, that um, just about anybody who studied history at all knows about. And then his second one uh, was regarded as a secret um, diary, and he wasn't even sure that would ever be exposed to the public when he was writing it, uh, because obviously there was opposition uh, to him doing that. But in that's the one the the, the uh, uh, the, it's called the Missing Diary of Admiral Byrd, and it's a very short thing, but it talks to him about uh, it talks about him in his plane, and um, it starts to wobble and you know fly funny, and then it like seems to come under control of something else because it's flying on its own and he's not doing it, and he ends up flying into the earth, and uh, you know everything is green. And he talks about meeting somebody there that uh, was called the introduced to him as the master, and basically uh, the master was telling him that they beneath the earth uh, have always left the earth people alone. These are my words, not his. Mm-hmm. And it was because we discovered the atomic bomb that they got concerned. So they gave him, or the master beneath the earth gave Admiral Byrd this information and concern, but like so many people, even the heroes like the admirals, um, are afraid to come forward and say things, and uh, so during that very crucial time, he never shared that information, and you can only guess if if it would have had any impact if he would delivered that information or that message back in, I think it was 1947. Mm-hmm. Well, it, the thing is, without you know, without well, I I I I believe that he did discover something. I'm not sure what, but I I do believe he did discover something. And the government really shut him down and shut him up. 
And right. but was wasn't that material partial reason for Operation High Jump? Uh, I honestly could not give you a straight answer on that. I I don't know. Because we did send. Probably, um, it sounds like you know more about that than I do. <laughs> well, we did send a whole bunch of ships and and stuff down there, and they came back a lot faster than we anticipated. And uh, some of the scuttlebutt was that they were attacked by by saucers, and and you know they they got they they came back with their between their legs, so to speak. So, um, well, there's a similar there's a similar story that um, uh, Linda Moltenhau, who I believe is a really good researcher, was able uh-huh. to get from an interview with um, um, a, a, Na- a Navy guy just known as Brian, and they were he I'll just call him Brian. Um, okay. Brian and his crew were the ones that were sent out to pick up somebody who had a severe uh, health concern and Mm -hmm. they were trying to save time and they flew over this no-fly zone which was against the rules because they wanted to save time for this person i believe they got in a bit of trouble for doing that but by doing that they saw this you know large hole going into antarctica uh they also saw uh, saucer-shaped craft flying um and the other part of their story that kind of fits in with what you're talking about with the fear is that um, there was a, um, a group of researchers that were dropped off in Antarctica, oh, yeah. and then they, uh, Brian and his crew, uh, when they went back to retrieve them, they couldn't find them. They, there was all their equipment and their tents or whatever they lived in uh, was all still there, but there were no people. They did go back um, a second time, and they were able to find the people, and they acted like people who were in total shock. You know, mm-hmm. this blank stare in their eyes. They wouldn't talk. Um, they they put them in the in the plane. Uh, I believe attempts were made to talk to them. Uh, they were just like people who had you know gone into the depths of hell or something very very traumatic. Um, mm-hmm. So that is kind of along the lines of what you're saying, where the people come back and they, you know, they've seen something just beyond what they've been able to comprehend. And well, you know, it may I, be as simple as coming face-to-face with reptilians. I mean, you've probably seen pictures somewhere of um, reptilians. And mm-hmm. if somebody like that just opened up my office door and walked in here right now, uh, I'm sure my heart would start beating like crazy. <laughs> well, you know, even you're absolutely right. You know, even though I've been exposed to a lot of this stuff and everything, um, and there are some things that I, that I have said to people, you know, it, it sounds feasible, but I won't believe it till I actually see it myself. Um, well, you don't want to see everything, believe me. No, I don't want to see everything, but I mean, there are a few things that I wouldn't mind, you know, having, you know, having an angel walk up and talk to me would be kind of cool. Oh, well, that's a different but, story. Yeah, yeah, but but it's it's sort of like, you know, I did see a UFO and and when I was in college and the the kind of ridicule that I got and the teasing that I got and and the I doubt it's and everything that were thrown at me for for decades I mean I I still talk about it but uh, you know at the time it was it was like I had leprosy and it was sort of like nudge not ask her about and the things UFO, things you know? have changed you know th- things have mm-hmm. changed people who 
uh, would have been critical of this website and what I'm doing, uh, you know, 20 years ago, uh, aren't oh, yeah. laughing now. So, I mean, there's been a lot of positive changes. Another thing I was thinking about is that um, <clears throat> I'm I'm reading a book, and I just started it, so I'm not going to comment on it, but there is a man named uh, Reverend Barry Downing, and he's a Presbyterian pastor who wrote a book oh, yeah. back in 1968, mm-hmm. and it was a, uh, the Bible's, in, I'm probably not getting it exactly right, it's like the Bible and UFOs, that may be the right title. And, um, no, that's Patrick's book, uh, <laughs> but but he's he's U, UFOs I know, in the Bible, I, anyhow. Yeah, Barry was he's been on Ancient Aliens. Yeah, he's he's quite a charming man. Yes, he's a very nice man, and um, so he's he came out with another book in 2017. So that's the one I'm just starting to write or read. Uh-huh. And what I found interesting, his first book was 1968 and certainly got a lot of people thinking in a brand-new direction. That mm-hmm. same year is when um, Eric Von Doniken came out with his book, Chariots of the Gods. That was another one that was very, very um, a mind-changer for so many people, including myself. Uh, when that came oh, yeah. out, that was just unbelievable. And, you know, even people like um, George Norrie with uh, Coast to Coast, uh, I think he points back to... Uh, that book is being a, a real mind changer for him. So back in 1968, uh, those were two significant books that really got people thinking differently. Mm-hmm. And happily, the consciousness of humanity is such that that instead of you know deciding to burn the books or or to you know burn people in effigy, you know first they ridiculed, then they got interested, and then they became believers. So, you know, they, they were at least open to um, reading the information and then gestating it and deciding whether or not it, it they could comfortably live with it. And, and of course, there have been such, you know, such such um, clusters, what huge clusters, waves of clusters of sightings of UFOs. After a while, it's very hard to, um, you know, ignore them. And, and then you have, you know, you have, movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and, and things like that, that that have made things a lot more familiar so that, so that you know, the public is more accepting of them. And I have always said and always thought that movies and television are, are places where they, they seed our consciousness with being more comfortable with a lot of um, material that, that normally we wouldn't come in contact with. And so by the time the things that have been said to have been fantasy become reality, we accept them more comfortably. And I'm sure that that is done in two different ways. Um, uh, Some of the people who are creative are uh, able to tap in or imagine things uh, into the future, so there's that aspect of it. Um, I also think there's deliberate um, manipulation um, from what I've pieced together, Steven Spielberg, you know, had an inside track on some of uh, the things he oh, did. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. I mean, when you when you when you look at at Star Trek and the doors that open and shut for you, you know, we 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 thought it was amazing when when we saw it, but then now now everybody going into any you know mall or anything like that, the, the doors open and shut, and we take it for granted. 
and you know their tricorders, our flip phones were very similar to those, and and now our cell phones can do everything from scanning for a stud in the wall to GPSing you wherever you are on the globe. So, um, the technology that they talked about way back is now something that is very much a part of our lives, and I, I'm hopeful that 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 the consciousness of humanity at this point in time is m more open to some of the shifts and changes that are coming because certainly they must be coming. Um, you know, there's, there's so much that, that we have been kept, that has been kept secret from us and yet probably secret from the government as well. But, but there's Depends material coming out. Depends on one aspect out. of the government. The, the government is multi-tiered and uh, the ones that we vote for are not at the highest level of um, control. Oh, good Lord, no. Uh, and and for that, I think sometimes we should be very grateful. Um, and and sometimes that's that it could go either way. <laughs> it it can go and probably will and has and will continue to. But but I I do I've often said to people that in many ways we are pawns in a game and we don't even know what the game is. And um, you know, getting back to Antarctica, I mean, there is a is it a lake on the surface? I, I know that it, it, it shows blue, and, and they, there have been ships that come in and out of it, and, and that, again, is a no-fly zone, and I'm, I keep wondering, how can, how can there be a lake in the ice? You know, how is, is, the, is it heated water that comes from beneath the surface? Well, or? one of the things that, um, and I'm sure I've, I know I posted it somewhere. I couldn't put my finger on it right now. Um, but if there are there are more volcanoes in western Antarctica than any place in the world, ah, and okay. the caverns underneath there, where the reptilians and the Germans have their labs, um, are those are old volcanic um, creations. Um, and I, I, that the first time I learned about that, um, you know, really really surprised me. Yeah, that is that is amazing, and and yeah, that makes that makes great sense. And and so, if you have volcanoes, and if the volcanoes are getting more active, then we're mm -hmm. going to have more uh, melting and uh, more things revealed. And that's happening all over the world. You know, whether the volcanoes are warming things up, you know, clearly the Earth is warming up. Oh yeah, and and I think the volcanoes too. I think the Ring of Fire has. Not not at this not at this moment, but there have been moments that it has been very very active, so that not only the volcanoes but earthquakes as well. And um, I keep talking about the New Madrid fault fault line um, because I just I get the feeling that it's going to go off again, and I have a feeling that um, the, the the government thinks so too, and yet there's not anything that's been done to sort of prepare people for for that possibility and and it um last time it went off it was an 8 or a 9 on the Richter scale. Yeah, so, I can't remember when that was. Do you? Or yeah, 19 uh eight, no 1839 I think, 38 and 39. I knew it was some time ago, but I I didn't have yeah. any idea on the date. And yeah, I know it, that it, there's it, been concern ever since then that it could do the very same thing again. It 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 rang bells in Boston. So, oh wow! Um, you know, yeah. Oh, it was the devastation. I mean, if, if anybody, if you're curious about it, the New Madrid fault line it, it goes kind of 
um, right up and down, almost parallel to the Mississippi. And right. when it went off this last time, the Mississippi ran backwards. So, um, you know, it, it, it was totally devas- devastating. But the, it, the land at that time wasn't that populated. But, right. you know, if it went off now, holy mackerel. Um, well, stop know, and think will... about this. You know, you were saying, you know, you know, the people should be warned. Well, think mm-hmm. about what's happening on our coastlines. We've been having storms that have wiped out towns sometimes more than once, and yet mm-hmm. people go back and build in the same place. So yeah. what, you know, we have these terrible fires out in California, and people want to go back and build right where the fires happened. You know, they want to, you know go back and and live there again. So what does it take? I mean, we seem to be very, as a species, very resistant to change. And And, um, yet, you know, for a long time, the water's been bubbling up through the manholes in in South Florida whenever there's a high tide. So Mm -hmm. why do people keep wanting to build there? I mean, you you can't even even warn people because there it is right in front of them. And they still and, want to build their houses. But yet, in, in China, um, apparently along the coastline, there are places where there have been um, landmarks put on stone that say, "Don't build beyond this point," because because they have known that tsunamis would wash up and come to that point, so that anything that that was you know um, that was built before that w- would be would be washed away. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they. Ha- I mean, we have been warned in so many ways, and as a culture, we haven't paid attention to it. Though at this point in time, I'm still shaking my head and wondering, New Orleans is below sea level. Why, why are they building there? The, the man who uh, has put in our uh, cable system where I live got mm-hmm. into a conversation with him. He's originally from New, uh, New Orleans. And his family owns a lot of land down south of Orlando, of uh, New Orleans. It's now three feet underwater. All of the yeah. land that the family owned is three feet underwater. That's not going to be redeemed. No. I mean, there's tons of stories like this, you know, but nobody listens. Well, Go yeah, I guess, well, yeah, I mean, it's... I think the Earth's plane is going through um, a a process that has gone through, you know, we're millions of years old. And I think that this has happened over the millions of years any number of times. We just, it's not in our lifetime that we've seen this kind of cycle, so that we're in the middle of a cycle that, that is probably a repeat of something that has happened countless times before. But you know, instead of trying to blame everybody about it, you know, the earth is going through a process of, of cleaning itself up and getting rid of the <clears throat> riffraff. And unfortunately, in some cases, we're the riffraff. So, I mean, look look what happened to the, the islands that, that uh, the hurricanes have hit. Uh, people, you know, they've been wiped clean, and yet people are going to go back and build. And, right. you know... Yeah, frankly, I would I would take the hint the first time, and I would take my money, and I would go inland as far as I could get. Well, there, there, you know, I don't know the details on it because I haven't paid enough attention to it. But after the hurricane hit the Bahamas, this most recent mm-hmm. one, 
another hurricane or a tropical storm came through, and there was an earthquake. I can't, rem- mm-hmm. I don't remember all the details, but there was a six-point earthquake on one of those in one of those island areas, the same ones that had been hit with the uh, hurricane. And I'm going, man, if that doesn't get you moving, you just. Mm-hmm. But you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I don't know what to say. I think that a lot of things too, a lot of the weather cycles that we're seeing, I truly believe harp is, pers- you know, is is partially to blame for some of them. Um, I, I, I and that's believe. another thing they're trying to hide from us. I, I used to be able to get harp maps, and you could absolutely see how they generated storms. It, and mm-hmm. the, the maps were just crystal clear. And, and again, you'd have to go into the probably type in uh, harp in the, the search bar and go back into the, the archives to find it. But they were incredible at how how you could pinpoint the storms from the the harp maps and uh, now yeah, I bl- nobody I has believe- access to them you can't I even believe- get a, a yeah no I, I believe the tsunami that hit haiti was caused by harp might very yeah, well you know. be oh yeah um, that one that was before yeah. um it was taken off the uh, you know the internet and mm-hmm. yes that that very much looked like it was done very very deliberately so, I mean, I, I understand scientists making a mistake, but they're making big mistakes. <laughs> well, it, it uh, looks like it's it's being done on purpose. It does, and, and it's a matter of manipulation. And, and what are they trying to do? Are they trying to get us all in one place and, you know, so they can control us or what? You know, it does, it, it does y- you start to question, you know, why are these things happening? I mean, our hurricane seasons, our nor'easters, um, the the storms that we have are now much more severe than they ever have been. Now, all right, tell will, your your regulars probably already know, but tell us exactly where you're located. I'm in Connecticut. On the coast? Uh, no, inland. Inland. <laughs> I okay. was on the I was on the coast for 50 years. And, where are you? Um, oh yeah, for 50 years, um, we we on a regular basis had Long Island Sound in our basements. And um, it, it was it was amazing, you know. When when and and at one point uh, I lived in Westport, Connecticut, and we had a nor'easter that hit at high tide at full moon. Mm. Now <laughs> that's that's a full load. Those, that's locked and you, loaded, as they say. Oh my goodness, I. At one moment, I looked outside, and you know, you know, it, it was it was rough out there, but it wasn't bad. And I was right on the water then, and um, not ten minutes later, I had four feet of water around my house, mm. and um, it, it was amazing. Happily, it was a split level, so we were on the second floor, and literally, I could go out on on my deck off the second floor, and and I could almost touch the water level. Mm. It was. It was that high, and so you've um, been through it. Oh yes, I I know storms, <laughs> but um, <laughs> and for the most part, I enjoy a good hurricane. Um, but but you know, not if I'm in a place that's being destroyed by it. I have been known to walk my dog and fly my dog, because you know because the dog was so light, the wind just picked him up on you know, and I had her on a leash, obviously, and you know. There was no way she was going to be able to use the facilities outside when she was floating in the air. So, 
had to make other arrangements for a short sounds period like a car- of time. Sounds like a cartoon. Uh, it, it truly happened. Um, mm. But, but you know, I, I think the weather is a magnificent thing, and I think um, for for one for one um, two seasons, my second husband and I we sailed a 140 foot square rigger out of um, um, Atlantic City with the public on it, and there is nothing like being on a ship that size and feeling the wind fill the squares and surge you ahead. Mm. <coughs> so, so the weather is an incredible thing, and it should be respected greatly. And and like you said before, um, if if you have been you know destroyed and everything that you've owned has been washed away, um, it it doesn't take a genius to say maybe I should build elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know because it's so it's so disastrous. The the um, seeing everything you own suddenly floating by you is is a scary thing. Uh, I know when our basement flooded, you know, everything that was down there in cabinets and stuff, if it couldn't be washed, it had to be thrown away. Oh, the mildew and, comes in real quick. Oh, overnight. And mm-hmm. and you know, it can it so so you learn. You learn how to, you know, what you put down there and what you find a place, you know, in a higher elevation for. But but the reality is if this kind of storm if your house isn't built for it, then it it behooves you to either prepare your house for it or to move to another place where, you know, you know you're not going to be hit by stuff. Now, um, I have to admit that that uh, you know I, I'm planning on moving to um, to Nashville, and of course they have tornadoes there, and so I'm I'm pretty sure that you know a tornado or two is going to drive by me, but. I've had two tornadoes hit on either side of my house um, wow. last year. Um, wow. One went right down the road and popped all of the telephone poles out, and the other one took out um, three oh, 150-, 200-year-old oak trees out. Mm. And and it's kind of like, okay, I'm moving. You don't need to say anything more. I'm, Of course, I'm moving. I got the message. Tornado Alley, but... But but the reality is, you know, you have to respect the weather. You have to, you know, do your due diligence. Um, and you know, it 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 boggles my mind that that houses in Nashville don't have basements. Well, um, Nashville is not in the center of where the worst tornadoes go through or where the most go through. So don't don't be excessively worried about that. No, I'm not. But but if the new Madrid line goes off, it's in the it's in the area of big destruction. So, mm-hmm. um, but I'm moving there, so probably the new Madrid line is going to go off just as soon as I settle oh, in. Oh, my I know. <laughs> but a little um, bit of optimism there, huh? Wow. <laughs> no, it's it's just that 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 I know that you know there's always excitement, and and you know a good storm, love them. Um, we're we're getting down to to you know just about 12 minutes here before we we have to sign off but I did want to um talk briefly your new book Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints is now out and people can get it and uh next month we're going to talk about it cuz I I will have had a chance to read it um and what what drove you to to write this book because it it looks fascinating um 
the uh, actually I was I realized how much I'd done in the way of research for the website. And mm-hmm. at the time I wrote the book, I had more than 65 Bigfoot stories that had been posted. And it's very difficult for people to, like, wade through and find all the stuff because it comes out at different times, though we mm-hmm. do have an ET and Bigfoot section. Uh, so you can get lost in there if you want to, and there's lots in the archives. Uh, but I, I, I just had all this incredible information. I thought, I need to put this together in one place. So that was one motivation. A second motivation was I'm sick and tired of people going on and on about Bigfoot footprints, you know, the casting and the feet. And, you yeah. know, so that's the reason for the title, Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. And um, I don't have all my information in front of me, but basically uh, the Bigfoot, they, ha- um, they have families. Uh, some people have become friends with them or they become friends with some humans. Uh, there have been situations where the Bigfoot have actually rescued people. Um, they, they have a very unique biology. Um, there's language. I mean, I get into those kind of things uh, rather than just what I call the nuts and bolts of, of prints. Um mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, if you, if anybody's into Bigfoot at all, they certainly have seen enough of those to be convinced that there must be something to them. And well, I just wanted to go beyond that. I'm glad because, you know, to me they don't feel malicious at all, and they, you know, they're not they're not puppy dogs either. But but they they deserve, I think, more respect than we've given them. And, and these people that go out trying to hunt Bigfoot and kill one. To offend me greatly because these well that's one of the reasons that I do not pinpoint where these sightings happen I'll give oh, the general good. area but I won't pinpoint them and um, um, what surprises me is that in this half of the country um, there are as many Bigfoot as there are because you know it's it's we have so the population of humans is so much more dense and yet mm-hmm. we still have Bigfoot. I think the Bigfoot in this part of the country, on the eastern half of the Mississippi, are more are quieter, and I think mm-hmm. they're very uh, they're much better, perhaps, at um, hiding in plain sight or staying out of view. Uh, the the wild stories with lots of noise and all of that is much more common. Uh, in the western Rockies or, you know, out on, toward the west coast and the, um, well, the Rockies, really. And uh, so I think they're different in for that reason alone. I also think that the bigger ones tend to be out in the west. The smallest ones are called skunk apes down in Florida, and mm-hmm. we're kind of in the middle range here where I am, which is in the, the mountains of western North Carolina. Um, well, it's a, it's from from what I have read, um, and obviously not as much as you, but you know the 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 most aggressive they get are throwing rocks and sticks at people. You know they don't go attacking and they don't go, you know, let's wipe out these campers or anything like that. So to me, I don't understand why people haven't really tried to. And and you know you said they have become friends with with some people and they have trusted some people so it's a start 
I just um Now we do have at the very end of the book I do have um a, a little section on when Bigfoot turns violent. And I give uh one case out in South Dakota uh with the um uh, Lakota Indians and it's basically uh, I have found that there are two main reasons why they get violent. Uh, if people are hunting them and shooting at them, they get really pissed. And if somebody was shooting at us, we would be upset too. So that is the most common thing. Um, this story that I shared uh, out in Dakota, um, they were hunting. And it, it makes an interesting story, so I'll just hit the highlight. And the highlight is that they were out in a remote part of the reservation, the Indians were, and they were hunting the same deer that the Bigfoot was hunting. The Bigfoot has to survive on what it can hunt, and mm-hmm. it was trying to, uh, it was throwing rocks and trying to, you know, scare the people away because really, you know, they have to hunt, they have to survive, and uh, the hunters who really didn't have to have the food um you know, we're taking something that the Bigfoot really needed. Mm-hmm. So I think, and also if you put their family or their children in jeopardy, they're going to get, those are the the three things that I have seen where there have been reports of violence. Usually it's totally. the hunters. Totally understandable. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I wanted to get out there while we have the ears of, I don't know, at least three or four people, a lot more, I'm sure, Um you're going to be doing um, a conference on October the 12th uh, called Creatures, Legends, and Lore. You want to talk a little bit about that and give people information about it? Um, let's see if what I can remember off the top of my head. It is on October 12th, which is a Saturday. It's in Gatlinburg at the Convention Center. It's a one-day, all-day event. And the last I heard, there's going to be 12 speakers. I will be one of them. And I will be talking about... Um, um, Bigfoot and little people and maybe some of the other odd things like strange dogs and strange owls and things like that here in um, uh, North Carolina. And I've got most of a PowerPoint together, and my PowerPoints have are lots of photos, and uh, I've learned how to do um, transitions, visual and sound, and so it's it will not just be me up there uh, throwing words into the air. <laughs> Are you doing the AAPS conference as well? Mm, not that I know of, no. Okay. I just, I was trying to, um, I know you've got another conference you're doing towards the end of October, I think. Uh, at I the end that? of October, I'm going to be down in Florida. I don't know exactly what's developing there, but uh, I'll be gone for a week for that one. Uh, most of what I do is uh, get out and do my own research, uh, get behind the computer and write for the website, and um, I enjoy doing uh, the, the radio talk shows. Um, uh, it's, a, you know, it's a nice way to get information out there. Uh, that tends to be where I put most of my energy. I really haven't you know, gotten on like the circuit, so to speak. <laughs> well, you've written um, three other books that were fascinating, and I've read them all. And, well, um, I appreciate you're very kind. Thank you so much. Well, listen, and each I, one's uh, different. Each one's they different. They are. You know, 
They, they are, they, and you, you know, know, you have one on the little people, one on Jesus, one on um, the what I, I forget what the third one is. Underground uh, military bases hidden in North Carolina yeah. mountains. Yeah. So, and, and actually, okay. the one that is the most difficult to sell is the Jesus one. Uh, it really? deals with uh, the um, uh, scientific and archaeological information about Jesus. It expands on our understanding of him. But the conservative Christians think they know everything already and that everything's in the Bible and there's nothing else. So we lose that audience. And mm-hmm. the the people that are more open-minded are so tired of the conventional Christianity that they don't want to have anything to do with it. But um, it's really kind of interesting information. And it gets well, into, you know... Uh, it gets into things where it's very convincing that he did live like a human being and he was indeed married, and information supporting that has come out in a number of different ways, uh, some of it by academic researchers. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, your books, among other things, are, you know, you have lots of photographs in them, at least the ones that I've seen, that, that I've That's, read. Yeah, I do that always because we're in a very visual world. Absolutely, and your your text that goes along with it is very conversational. It's not it's not heavy do it, it doesn't make you feel like you're in school. It, it's 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 enjoyable reading that educates as well. So it's a it's a wonderful writing style because you don't feel oh God should I take notes. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, and if you buy the book, you can highlight, of course. But um, but it's material that that you know you can grab the book, you can find the material, and you can refer back to it easily, instead of you know a, a very you know a 500-page book where you where you just you know your eyes where it's laborious, over. where it's a big effort, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and and so they're a pleasure to read, and you know you can you can put them pick them up and put them down and and. They're they're so informative that that uh, it's it's a wonderful thing to have on hand. You know, it, it's a casual read, but it's an informative read. So I I, I highly uh, encourage everybody to check out your books and your website and the archives especially because there's so much information there that um, it's it's not time sensitive. It's it's informationally sensitive and and it builds upon itself so that you can follow follow different material through time and like i said your your archives start in 2008 so that's 11 years of material for um for somebody to to spend you know a good winter's evening just chuckling not chuckling but yeah chuckling because it's fun <laughs> material to read you don't make it so serious that that it's you know oh god it's it's right. it's more of an oh my goodness look at that we are down to the last couple of seconds I want to thank you so very much for spending this hour with me and uh, and I'm thank you for all your kind time. words and I uh, enjoyed talking to you thank you so much oh you're so very welcome and we will be back next month and we will be going into some Bigfoot material and possibly other stuff as well so stay tuned everybody she's going to inform us in spite of ourselves. So good night, Mary, and good night, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.